And when COVID broke last year, people were calling it a health crisis. By August, I knew it was a fraud vaccine crisis. And now is the time to take on the fraud within CDC, NIH. They're going to do the cabal, as I call it, where they actually use human beings as guinea pigs for vaccination. So today on American Conversations, we have Angela Wilbrick, who's a registered nurse who lives in the San Francisco area and has been a uh, registered nurse for uh, about 23 years. She received her Moderna shot in January and immediately um, was taken to the ER and uh, because of blood clots and a possible heart attack. And then since then, she's been in and out of the ER. I think it's, what is it, five times you've called 911 and you've been admitted in 50 uh doctor visits is that do i have those facts right angela i think yeah so i i had my moderna shot on the 19th of january um at the 12 minute mark i knew something was drastically wrong i my body went hot it went numb um my heart was racing i felt like i was dying um i was at a mass testing site so um, I honked, I, I put my car in park. I was actually on my way to leave because I've taken other vaccines and I've never had an issue. And I was told they were safe, that they were effective. Um, I didn't know any of the previous side effects um, that people were having. So I just assumed that I would be fine. So as I was getting ready to leave um, the testing site, um, at the 12 minute mark is when my reaction happened. And so I was able to put my car in park um, I laid on the, the, the horn of my, my car to get help. And the next thing I know, I was surrounded by medics, by a nurse. Um, I was on the ground. My vital signs were incredibly unstable. Um, I had stroke-like uh, blood pressures. So my blood pressures were 180s, 190s, 200s, <laughs> over 130s, 140s, 150s. Um, my heart rate was between the 130s and the 160s. Um, I was shaking like a leaf. Uh, I don't remember very much, but it just was a terror. It was very, very scary. Um, so I was taken away um, by ambulance to the hospital. Um, in the back of the ambulance, I knew being, because I'm a nurse, I knew the protocol they they were putting me on was a heart attack protocol. So while I was in the back of the ambulance, they were giving me nitroglycerin, they were giving me aspirin, they were giving me all the drugs. It's called Mona. It's a morphine, oxygen, nitro, um, nitroglycerin, um, and aspirin. And that's what we give people that we suspect is having a heart attack. So uh, because I knew a little too much, I immediately knew they were thinking that I was having a heart attack. Um, I was taken to the hospital. Um, I was having difficulty breathing. Um, my chest was tight. Um, so when I got there, they were ruling out all of those things. And um, fortunately, I did not have a heart attack and I did not have blood clots in my lungs. Um, but over the following two months, um, I, would, I had five 911 calls where I would just be laying there and out of nowhere, I would turn white as a ghost. I would um, get hot and sweaty as if I was having a heart attack. I was not able to breathe. Um, my O2 sats wouldn't even register. My heart rate would be sky high and we would have to call 911. 
Um, it happened to me once while I was driving back from a doctor's appointment and I was on the side of the freeway on the ground. Um, it, it was just a horrible, horrible experience. And the, and the worst part about it all is that I got the vaccine so early that I didn't know that these reactions were happening. And so all of the doctors that took care of me, they knew that I was really ill. I mean, they knew I was very sick, but they just did not know what to do with me because they, 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 they were treating me symptomatically, but they couldn't really take care of me because we didn't know what was wrong. So it was right. very terrifying. Um, I really didn't think I was going to make it. Um, at the four month mark is when I realized, like, I just don't think I'm going to be able to survive this. And it was probably the darkest, darkest times in my life because I have a beautiful 12 year old daughter and I thought that she was going to be motherless. Oh, so oh. sorry. It's hard to talk That's about. Okay. That's okay. But I had Take a, your time. Take your time. Angela, take your time. I hired an attorney to do a living trust and a will. So that if something happened to me, then my daughter would be, things would be put in place for her. That was all the energy that I had. I didn't have energy to do anything. I laid in a dark room, just hoping that I wouldn't be needing to call an ambulance that day. Um, but, but that was basically the most amount of energy that I could gather was to get an attorney to make sure that my daughter would be taken care of. So that was at the four month, month mark. Um, after that, slowly things started to get a little bit better, but it wasn't a, it was not a, a linear um, progression. It was like I would have a couple of good days and then I would crash again. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not like a normal process where you continually get better and better and better. It's like you get better and you have good days and then all of a sudden you're, the rug is pulled out from underneath you and you're back in the hospital. And that's how it's been for about 10 months. Um, fortunately, I'm having better and better days, but um, just as of last week, I was back in the doctor's office having stress echoes. I think I talked to you a couple of weeks ago. I was having more cardiac issues. So I was put back on another two week cardiac monitor. I had a stress echo um, last Tuesday. So I'm at the 10 month mark and I'm still dealing with this. Um, and it's just frustrating. I'm just, I'm really frustrated as a registered nurse. I never thought that I would be treated um, this way. I have practiced medicine, like, you know, for 23 years and my, my philosophy in medicine and all the doctors that I've always worked with is if there is a mistake that's made, if we ever over treated a medic, uh, a patient with too much of a med or too little of a med, or even if we were giving a med, and right. there were side effects, we would let the patient know, like we were transparent and honest and people do make mistakes. And so that's always been my philosophy. And the hardest part about this was when they told me this vaccine was safe and that I needed to take it to end this pandemic and help protect other people and help protect my patients. I believe them because that's the kind of person that I am. I would never, I would never do to a patient what was done to me. And mm -hmm. what was done to me was I was lied to. I was told that this was safe and I believe them. And I didn't realize until I was able to gather my strength and meet up with other people that there were people in the clinical trials that did really poorly with this. Um, there were people that were hospitalized 
Um, and they were telling people that it was safe. And I had no idea that people were in the hospital that were in the clinical trials. I would have loved to have known that going into this vaccine. I would have loved to have known that people were having these side effects, that there were these risks. And so I feel um, like I was lied to. Mm -hmm. I feel like I took one for the team and I did what they asked me to do. And now there's hardly any doctors that are willing to even admit that we exist. There's a few. And, you know, I interviewed with one last night, but they're rare. They're rare. Right. Most doctors will not go on TV or live and say these things are happening. Um, I see little bits here and there on Twitter. I saw an ER doctor the other day just talk about an eight-year-old that came in with tachycardia, um, that they're starting to see these young little kids come in. Um, I have in my own town down the street from me, a little boy named Odin Robinson who passed away. He was 15 years old and um, he died from the Pfizer vaccine and it's on his death certificate. It's, it, he died from, um, you know, I, if I had the report here, I would read it to you. I think I've given it to you, Christine, but um, you know, there's been lots of kids that have died from right. this and right. I just don't understand how they are not doing something about this. I just don't understand it. I don't understand how they're not studying us, how they're not recognizing us, how they're not trying to get us help. Um, it just is mind boggling to me. Well, I think, you know, I've, I've interviewed, a, because I've interviewed a lot of the people who volunteered for the early rollout that are in the medical field, a lot of them say to me that they feel betrayed because they were not given enough information before they took the shots for the team, for America, for humanity. And, and, and that's, that's, that's very understandable. Do you, what do you think now though, Angela, with um, giving kids five to, to 11 and, and, you know, 12 and upward the shots is it, it, I mean, are you hesitant for your own daughter? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, with the amount of data that they have, that's the other thing that I don't understand. They have so much evidence and so much data on VAERS, that's what's making me the most angry about it. I could see in the beginning if they didn't know very much or if there was just a few with every medication, we know there's side effects. And so if it was just a few here or there, that I could see. But with the evidence that they have with, you know, all, all, I mean, all you have to do is look at VAERS and, and realize how dangerous these vaccines are. And 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 figure out what it is that's doing this um Sweet. i don't i do not think you know i think one kid dead is too many and right. it it just is not stopping it's like kid after kid after kid after kid it's like how many kids have to die before something happens and um i just i just don't understand i i can't understand it it's it's beyond my comprehension and i it, it makes me cringe when i hear the governor of california talk about how safe these vaccines are or the politicians talking about how safe they are and i just wish that they could tell the parents of these people that lost their children how safe these vaccines are i wonder how these parents would feel to when they hear that because they're the ones that are having to spend the holiday at the grave site instead of making beautiful memories. All these kids had a future. They all had, you know, they, they're they innocent. They're these sweet little innocent kids. And now these parents are devastated and they don't get to have the lifetime of memories that they should. 
And it just really makes me angry when they talk about how safe these are because there are parents that don't get to spend the holidays with their children for the rest of their lives. And I, and until they can, until they can address those parents, I don't think they should be telling people that these are safe. And, you know, on the report, I'll, I'll send it to you, Christine, afterwards. Um, it's from the Sonoma County Sheriff's Department. Um, it clearly states that Oden Robinson, this 15 year old was in perfect health. Um, he had no pre-existing conditions and he died because of the Pfizer vaccine. He died of um, stress cardiomyopathy. Um, explain, so, explain, Angela, explain that to the, to the public, what that means. Translate that to layman's terms for the it's, public. It's just basically, it's like the myocarditis. It's like your, your heart becomes so inflamed. And that's, that's the other thing that really gets me is that I was in charge of a pediatric unit for 17 years. I was a charge nurse for peds, labor and delivery, NICU. I was also a trauma, trauma certified nurse. Um, I've never in my entire career had to run to the emergency room for a pediatric, pediatric trauma from a vaccine reaction. I've never seen kids dying in Zoom meetings. I've never seen kids dropping dead playing basketball unless they had some pre-existing known, you know, cardiac right. anomaly. I've never seen kids just die in their sleep that are 15 years old after a vaccination. I've never seen that in my entire career. And so I, when the doctors are telling people that myocarditis is mild and that they can treat it with just a, a little bit of, you know, give some Motrin here and there, there's nothing mild to me about myocarditis. It's Absolutely. like saying that, they have, that you Correct. have mild cardiac arrest. Right. If you take a, if you take a, for me, in my opinion, any product that you put into a healthy young individual and it can cause cardiac issues should not be considered safe. In my personal opinion, um, no product that should be put into somebody that is that could potentially give them cardiac issues should be considered safe and a healthy young, young person. And so this myocarditis, I'm not used to seeing that in the hospital. I honestly don't think I've ever seen myocarditis in, in, in a child. Um, I know that it can happen post flu or, you know, post viral illnesses. I just personally haven't seen it. And so for me hearing about all these cases of myocarditis, we don't know what the long-term effects of myocarditis is. And when you cause inflammation and you inflame a heart, I don't believe in my opinion, and I'm not a cardiologist, but I don't believe that things are ever quite the same. It's like, you can't take a heart and inflame it and tell me that there's not some sort of long lasting damage or mm. potential scar tissue. Um, but that's my own opinion coming from a nurse, not as a physician. Um, and so well, I just don't know what have, the long-term effects of this myocarditis is going to be for these kids. Well, we um, and you know, what I do know is when a child does have myocarditis, um, they can't play sports for six months. They have to have all kinds of invasive testings. They have to have MRIs with contrast on their hearts. They have to have echoes. They've got to have stress echoes. They've got to have EKGs. They've got to have lab work. They've got to be followed very closely. So to just say that, you know, that they can deal with this myocarditis, it's, it's life changing for these kids to tell a kid that they can't run around and play for six months. I mean, it's just very, I'm, I'm just very disappointed. And I, I used to be so proud 
being in the medical field. I mean, my whole life, I all I, I, nurses are my heroes. And I was so, um, I feel so lucky that I got to grow up and become a nurse because for me, I just have always taken such pride in my profession and in the medical community. But now I feel betrayed. I feel lied to. I don't feel proud anymore. Um, I don't, I, I obviously haven't been able to go back to work um, because I've been so un, uh, unwell, um, but I'm no longer proud. And it's, it's been really hard on me psychologically because I don't want to be a part of, of that society if they think that this is okay. So let's, it's, just, let's, it's been let's, difficult, let's, Christine. Let's, let's, and I appreciate that, you know, your honesty about that, Angela. Let, let's talk about um, you're finding, you know, Dr. Bruce Patterson and the treatment that he has administered on you. And, and you know, and, and because you, you seem to be better than you were before after meeting Bruce. So explain to uh, explain to the audience the treatment that you've gone through that you've seen some good reaction. It's not a cure, but at least it's a, it's going in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, there's not a day that I don't worry about the next thing that's going to happen to me. I mean, I it's it's on my mind twenty four seven. I'm 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 constantly worried that something is going to go wrong or something new is going to crop crop up. Mm -hmm. um, but I do um, give credit and I do value the doctors that have been willing to study us. So Dr. Bruce Patterson, we reached out to him because we were having very similar symptoms of COVID long haulers. Right. We were having cardiac issues, neurological issues, um, fatigue issues, um, brain fog, zapping, tingling, numbness. I mean, the, the symptoms go on and on, but they're very easy to spot. I mean, I can tell when somebody's been vaccine injured because we all, even though the symptoms are so vast, they're all very, they're, they're all very similar. And so. Bruce and they're multiple. They're, they're multiple. they're multiple issues. I mean, that that's something that people have to understand. It's not just one issue with any. No, it's, it's multiple. not. It's multiple. It's I mean, they, they kind of fall into categories. They mm -hmm. are cardiac, they're neurological, um, they're mast cell issues, um, allergic issues, but I mean, and symptoms are like, I, I think we've counted like 200, but there's probably more than that, but they're all, we all have the same things going on. Um, so it's pretty easy to spot a vaccine injured from this COVID-19 vaccine. Um, but Dr. Patterson researched 11 of us and I was one of them. And he was very surprised to discover that we had this S1 protein, which is like viral debris in our monocytes. And what that was doing was it was causing um, inflammation, which was poking at our immune system and causing our immune system to, to kind of go into overdrive. So we had vascular inflammation, we mm -hmm. had neurological inflammation, um, and so he was using various meds. The meds are different for each person, depending on their, their, their lab values and their cytokine panel. But um, I was on medication for nine weeks on his protocol to try and help my monocytes um, clear out this viral debris that I don't think should have been happening in the first place because I never had COVID. So I don't know how I have, I don't, I, that's one thing I, I don't understand, how I have viral debris when I never actually had COVID. Um, so is he giving you the monoclonal 
treatments? Some of you, the monoclonal treatments and steroids? Some, some people are doing monoclonal antibodies. Um, I, I have had, I did monoclonal antibodies myself, uh, three weeks ago, but I did that as a post post COVID exposure. Mm -hmm. I didn't do that for any protocol. I did that just as a post COVID exposure. Um, because I'm so no compromise. That's the other thing. This vaccine, I used to be completely healthy. I was a dancer as well. Um, and now I'm being followed by a functional medicine doctor and I had some lab work done just about a month ago and my immune, my immune system was in such high gear for so long that now my immune system is no longer functioning. So how do you, how do you test for that? What do the doctors have to do to find out if your immune system has collapsed? There, there are various tests. <clears throat> One of the tests that came back very extremely low for me was my IgA levels. The other test, there was another test that came back that tested my immune function. It's a similar test that they use for HIV positive patients um, that mm. are immunocompromised. So I, I, they use those similar testings for me. And my immune system is much weaker than most patients that are severely ill with HIV. Um, so... Wow. Um, I am at risk of, if I got COVID now, I would be at risk. If somebody around me was sick and got near me, my immune system is not functioning properly. Um, so I'm taking, um, supplements to try and help my immune system. Um, but yeah, it's just been, it's been a complete nightmare and that's, that's an understatement. I felt like last night when I was talking, um, doing the interview with Lauren, the best way to describe how we feel, um, cause Lauren, who was on the show with me, um, we've been friends on this journey for months now, but the best way to describe how we feel inside is that we are one of those lab rats where the experiment went really wrong and their tails are sticking straight up. Um, we compare ourselves to like the microwave rats where we just feel like we're just, extremely ill. I mean, I, that's how I, I compare myself to a lab rat. Um, and it's, it's just horrifying. And I keep hoping that this nightmare ends, you know, I'm having better and better days. Um, my relapses are far, far and few between, but I don't trust that it's the end for me, you know, and it's not the end. I'm, st I'm on cardiac meds. I was never, I was never on cardiac meds before. Um, I'm taking cardiac meds now. And if I didn't have the cardiac meds, I wouldn't be able to survive. Um, my, my blood pressure and my pulse are so unstable that I rely on cardiac meds. Um, and that's, is, that, that has been another ongoing pattern when we have interviewed people who have been uh, become ill after taking the vaccine shots. Their blood pressure is peaks and valleys and it's, and it's, it's, uh, and the heart palpitations come back, you know, off and yeah. on too. And it's just, it's, it's, I, you know, the, the one thing that I, I empathize and I sympathize with all of you is it's the unknown and yeah. you don't know what the next day is. And there's, you know, it's like playing, it's like playing the wall street market. I mean, you, you, <laughs> the unknown will drive anybody crazy. Cause it's, that's really, that's truly the hardest part is the PTSD um, from it because as we get better and better, um, the, always in the back of my head, 
I don't know. Am I going to end up with a cancer? Am I going to end up um, being on the side of the road again? Like I've been a couple of times. Am I going to be with my daughter needing to call 911? Um, are they going to find something? It's like we, we all are so traumatized from such a long experience of having poor health and nobody really knowing. It's It's like when you break your arm or you break your leg, I've had broken bones before, you know, you know what the end game is going to be. You know that you can have surgery, you can fix it, you can do rehab and be done. With this, we don't know what the end game is because they, they don't even want to acknowledge that we exist. They don't want to research us because they don't want to expose us. They want to keep us quiet. We're not allowed to talk about it. We get censored. If we say anything about it, on social media groups like Facebook, they try and shut us down. And so it's really sad because we took one for the team and we did what they asked us to do. And now we're left behind. And, and I think it's really, really dangerous because a lot of people are playing doctors themselves because there's nobody to take, you know, to take care of us that will acknowledge that we're vaccine injured. So People are taking this drug or that drug, or they're hearing from their friends that this works and that works. And they're using social media as doctors to try and figure out what to take to get better. Because even, even the good doctors that believe us, they don't even know how to take care of us because nobody will tell them, hey, by the way, if you come across an injured patient, this is what you need to do. And I mean, I've written letters to the NIH. I haven't heard back from them. They have ignored my email. Um, I, I begged them to help me back in April. Um, I contacted Moderna. I begged them to help me. Um, it just is, it's a lost cause. I mean, they just don't want to help us. Did you get any response from Moderna? No, no response from Moderna. I sent an email to the, the, um, one of the physicians that has been taking care of, uh, injured victims at the NIH. No response. This is Dr. Nats. No, I, I, I contacted Dr. Safivi. Mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. that Dr. Nath and Dr. Safivi were the two that were taking care of the injured victims. Um, and I, and I have a feeling by that point, I was so sick those first four months, all I could do was lay in bed and call 911. But at the four month mark is when I realized I need to get serious help from people that mm -hmm can or people that will study me and maybe might have a clue. And so that's when, um, Dr. Denise Hertz had told me about Dr. Safivi and I got her email and I was, and at that point I was hopeful, okay, this is somebody from the NIH. This is somebody that knows, you know, what could potentially be going wrong with my body. Um, I sent her a very long email telling her all my symptoms and what happened to me. And I begged her to take me on as a patient and let me come to the NIH um, so that they could take care of me and give me help. And I never received an email back. Wow. Wow. Angela, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. The rejection, the denouncement, the deflection. That's the, the hard part. That's, that's, that, that's that. Yeah. I mean, they're in the, they're supposedly in the business uh, of health and then ignoring those who are sick is what would. That's the hard part. It's like, I, I understand that there, there can be side effects and reactions, but I'm, like I said, the things that I'm angry about the most is that I, they did not, they did not tell me what was going on in the clinical trials. When I heard about Maddie DeGary mm -hmm. and that she was in the clinical trials and they said that she had functional abdominal pain, 
I, I, you know, as a pediatric charge nurse, I've never seen anybody with functional abdominal pain become, you know, wheelchair bound and need a feeding tube. And here she is in the hospital while they were telling us that it was safe to vaccinate our 12 to 15 year olds. Here they're telling us and they're giving emergency use use, uh, use authorization for 12 to 15 year olds while Maddie was in the hospital with the vaccine. I know, I know. And, and, and not including her documentation in the yes. trial study itself. That's, I that, don't understand that. And that's, so- but see, that's intentional. That's, that is not, that's not an oversight. That's not a human error. Everybody knew about it at the time when she was in the hospital, when she was wheelchair bound, when she, when she had a feeding tube. So that, to me, that's an intentional decision. by Yes. The, that, and that's what makes me so angry. It's like, how can they know this, but not get it out there? It's one thing if they say, Hey, by the way, we're in a pandemic. We have people dying from COVID. There is a vaccine. If you get it, we don't know what will happen to you. You could die. You could be permanently damaged mm-hmm. or it could keep you out of the hospital from COVID. But, but we want to let you know that these things are going on. I would have respect because at least you know what you're signing up for. But when you're telling people that it's safe and effective, but yet you have a 12 year old little girl in the hospital at the same time, mm-hmm. that to me is just dirty. It's dirty. It's awful. It's horrific in my opinion. Um, so that's number one. That's, that's, that's where I have a hard time. The second thing is they asked us to do this. We did it. And now they want to keep us quiet and they don't, they're not out there trying to help us. And Mm -hmm. so if you're going to, if you're going to put a product out there, that's going to harm people, at least help the people that you harm. But well, and also, and also for those that you harm, you should never silence. Yeah. And we yeah. are completely silenced. We, yeah. we can't even, we have to use abbreviations like V when we talk about the vaccine on Facebook, because our, our comments or our groups will get flagged. I mean, we're not even, we're not allowed to talk about it. And I, I mean, I, the stories go on and on, but it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. My heart is broken for the profession. My my heart is broken for the fact that I've been a nurse for so long and I've had, I've held the medical world like at the top of, I mean, there, it, it's, it, it was my, it was part of my identity was being in the medical field. I love taking care of people. I loved saving people's lives. I love taking great care of people that I couldn't save. And so to be a, to be a victim of needing, being a patient and not getting help that I need has been eye-opening, but it's also been heartbreaking and devastating for me because um, it's it's the worst care ever. It's just, it's awful. Well, let, me, let me publicly apologize to you and to all the victims today, because as somebody who's been a seasoned journalist in the media, in the mainstream media, four networks and papers here in the United States and abroad, I'm ashamed of the media, the lack of media coverage in the mainstream media for all of you. And that's why we're doing what we're doing on American Conversation. We want you to, all of you to come back. You've all got a space to raise your voices. And I really mean that, Angela. And I appreciate you, you know, coming on and keeping in touch. Um, and, and I want you to know the door is always open as this goes forward. Thank you so much, Christine. I really appreciate it. Thank you.